because you've got to sell it to your publisher and it's not just a matter of once you're published, you'll always be published. Each new thing that you write, you've got to sell to your publisher. Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Now, let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Rights for Women. Today's episode is the first in a two-part series on rebooting your author career. And the reason I chose this title is because the two authors that I spoke to very recently both have new releases, but both also happen to be authors who are reinventing themselves. They've taken their author career in in a slightly new direction, They've had books out previously, and their new books are in different genres, really. And it seems to me that for both these authors, their author career has really been rebooting in, with the advent of these new titles. The author I'm going to be speaking to today in the first of those interviews is Sasha Wosley, and next week I'll be speaking to Meredith Jaffe. I'll save Meredith's intro for next week. But let me tell you a little bit about Sasha. Sasha is a West Australian author who had a number of books out in an Outback Romance series. The first was Dear Banjo, followed by True Blue and Love Song. I always remember those books as having absolutely gorgeous covers, actually, and I loved the titles as well. Sasha also writes in Paranormal under the pen name S.D. Wosley. And she writes for both adult and young adult in Paranormal. And as she, we find out in this chat with Sasha, she's also going into middle grade fiction. So she's someone who writes with a lot of different hats on, has a couple of pen names and has a lot of diverse interests, including a new genre that she talks about at the end of this interview in which she wants to write. We do spend the first part of this interview talking about her brand new release, A Caravan Like a Canary, which has come out in the last month or two with Pantera Press and it has an absolutely amazing cover, has a great title and is a really good read. I've been reading it recently and really enjoying it. It's in the women's fiction, uh, contemporary fiction, if you like, genre. And this is a move away from the Outback series that Sasha was writing uh, and being traditionally published in a few years ago. So I'm talking to Sasha about her new book, but we also get into this territory of how did it come about that she has changed genres? What has that been like? How has her publishers reacted? And where is her career going in terms of what's happening next? So grab a cuppa, as I am, hot chocolate for me, and sit back and I hope you enjoy this chat I had with Sasha Wosley on the Rights for Women Convo Couch. Sasha, welcome to Rights for Women. Thank you so much for having me, Pamela. 
great to have you here. And I've been reading A Caravan Like a Canary and it's just such a lovely read. I've been really enjoying it. So I'm very excited to talk to you about it and the writing process and everything that goes with it. But can you start by, first of all, telling listeners what the book is about? Sure, absolutely. So A Caravan Like a Canary. Yeah, such a great cover too, can I say. I loved it. Both your last covers have been amazing. So this book is about the character Tara Button. And when she was a kid, she went on an ill-fated caravan trip up the west coast of Australia with her mum and her brother, Zach. And there was lots of upheaval, lots of trauma. And as a result, she changed as a person. She was only 11 at the time. She's now in her 30s and she's gone on. She's got her life together in every possible way. She's the most together person that you could meet, at least on the outside. And then her brother, Zach, is the opposite. He reacted to what happened to them as kids in completely the opposite manner and went off the rails. He's in trouble. He's got the law after him. He's got bikies after him. He's got, um, he does drugs and he does crime and things like that. He just makes bad choices all the time. Mm. And Tara's job is basically looking after him and making sure that he survives. So her mum at this stage is living up in a town called Elsewhere, right up the top of the WA coast. And she calls Tara, she's dying, she's got cancer, and she says, I need you to bring me the canary yellow family caravan. And Tara is extremely unwilling, but Zach talks her around, as only Zach can do, and they drive up the coast. But, of course, it's a journey of rediscovery because they do the same drive that they did when they were kids that went so spectacularly wrong. And along the way they meet people and they discover things and they uncover old secrets and they get that, that gift of hindsight, being able to look back at what happened then and understand it with a whole new adulthood behind you. Um, along for the ride is Zach's best friend, Dan, and um, a few sparks fly between him and Tara. And I don't want to give away too much, but no, um, no. <laughs> mysteries that are revealed along the way. Yeah, that's a great summary. And it is, there are a few things that are a little bit, Tricky not to give spoilers away on, so I'm very very um, aware of that. It's such a great concept for the book. We're actually, I'm sitting in a caravan as we speak, Sasha. I actually record in a... gracious caravan. You've got yeah. There. I would have thought that was a living room. <laughs> it's a vintage caravan, actually. It's only 12 foot. 12 foot long. And I'm so jealous. <laughs> I know. It's, I'm very lucky to have it. It's a great place to record and to work. But I love the concept, the whole road trip concept. I love any road trip novel. I think it's great. But I love the way that you've brought in the whole family layer and then the mirroring of this trip now with the trip that they'd done previously and, and just the way that you contrast who your characters are now compared to who they used to be and how they got to be the way they are now. So I'm really curious about where the inspiration for the story came from. Yeah, I had decided that I really wanted to write something that had some grit. I had just come off um, writing the third in a young adult series that I've written and I wanted to tackle something adult with some kind of, I think I had just read Boy Swallows Universe. Oh, okay. (laughs) I had all this in my head and as writers we are, I think, very influenced by what we read. And whilst I didn't want to reproduce that, I loved the idea of this kind of tough childhood with criminals and stuff going on that they might not have understood. So I had that swirling around in my head. And then every day I was driving home and coming past this bright red ladybird spotted caravan, vintage caravan just around the corner from my house. 
and just noticing it every single day. And then one day I started to think about what that caravan had seen in its lifetime and the two things came together and I started to think of what bad things might have happened surrounding that caravan that it's this incongruous thing, this bright red ladybug painted caravan. And then I started to imagine a bright yellow caravan. I wanted to change it a little bit. Just have this really sunny, sweet, happy looking caravan that's got this dark past. And that was where it came from. Yeah, I love that. Isn't it great where ideas come from? It's just such a mysterious process. Yeah. So I'm curious then about the process. So once you've got the idea for the caravan, I guess I'm I'm asking a general question here, but what is your writing process in coming up with the story and the characters from that point? I generally then choose a new notebook from my huge stockpile of notebooks and I write the title or whatever I think is going to be the title at that point on the front page and I start plotting. And for the first few days, I'm generally just scribbling. None of it makes much sense. It usually doesn't resemble the book at all by the end, but it is just notes. It's sparking ideas. It's like mind mapping. I'm not a plotter in the sense of I out a chapter plan and then have what's going to happen in each chapter. I'll generally just have a bunch of events that are going to happen and then know roughly where the characters are going to end up at the end of the book. And then I usually just sit down and start writing. And I try and start where I think the story begins, but I usually find that I go back and write more for the beginning towards the end because I realise that there are bits that are important that I've missed. Yeah, And this one, definitely, that had to happen because there were a lot more flashback scenes that had to go when I had finished the main draft. Yeah, I want to get on to talking about that a little bit later, the structure, because I found that really interesting. But uh, let's talk about the characters. So Tara, as you mentioned, is the protagonist of the novel, really the main character. And like you said, she is this sort of quite buttoned up pardon the pun but she is quite together she's very organized she's very she's in control of her life for very good reason because she's had to develop that way but how do you develop your characters so someone like Tara where did the inspiration for her come from and then once you get that initial idea what's your process in learning who she is and getting her onto the page good question you have to think back and try and remember generally when I have a character that's usually my first this time it was the caravan, which I guess is a character in its own right. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah. Start with the main character and that's my premise. I build around that. So Tara must have come pretty quickly after the caravan. I tend to only write women main characters because that's my understanding of the world. So that's where I feel more confident. I think I wanted to show how trauma impacts people in different ways and to, and I, I know people like Tara who have just reacted against stuff that happened in their childhood and become incredibly together in every way. Mm-hmm. And then I know people like Zach who have just fallen apart in every way and they can't seem to keep anything together. And it was really interesting to me and also tragic to see the ways that people respond to trauma And everyone has some trauma in their lives. So I guess I wanted to explore that. I wanted to have them contrasting to each other. Mm. And for the development of Tara, the flashback scenes were really important because then I could see her as a kid, what she was like, because she was a bit, she was still a reasonably kind of straight-laced kid. She was a rule follower, but she was a bit more chilled as a kid. The Mm. only thing is had an issue with her dad and I don't want to go into that too much because it ruins the story if I do yeah her dad was not a very nice person and as a result Tara was always very tense 
So she had that, but she was also, she had some good friendships and she loved her mum and she loved her siblings and all of that. But as time went on and things went really badly for the Button family, Tara lost the ability to make friends and become close to people. So that's something she has to relearn through this trip, which mm. um, Dan comes into play. And, yeah, I guess that's that was the main way that I explored Tara was just doing that initial mind mapping, but then doing those flashbacks so you could see her at 11, you could see her at 17, you could see her at 26. Are you someone who does character bios and, and things like that? Sometimes. I don't generally do a formal one, but I was um, flicking back through a notebook today for another thing that I'm working on and I noticed that I had written like a bullet point list of characteristics for my main mm. character there. So mm. obviously I am someone who writes um, information about their characters. I can't just keep it all in here. I need to actually have it down on paper because then it seems to cement it in here and I'm better than writing the character. Yeah, yeah. And did you find writing writing either or both the, the present day scenes and the flashbacks, is that sort of a, a surprise process for you? Are you just writing the story and the character is revealing something on the page that you hadn't pre-thought, pre-planned? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes that's, that happens, doesn't it? And that's fun. I think that's the fun bit, the magic bit of writing, when you surprise yourself. And with the flashbacks, at first it was just going to be scenes from when the traumatic incidents happened, so when she was 11. But as it went on, I found that I had to show her at different ages to show what was going on in her life because if you just have that snapshot of what happened and then you go to now, there's a whole bunch of stuff in between that, you, that yeah, is missing from her story. Mm. So I ended up going back in and writing in a few extra scenes of her as a teenager and even her as younger, like before it all happened, and then her as a, a mid-20s trying to clean up after Zach and keep him safe. There's not a huge number of flashbacks. There's probably around one per chapter and each one is headed up with an age because I know that when I'm reading flashback scenes, I like to know exactly where I am, otherwise mm. I can be lost. So I wanted to make it really clear. I wanted to make sure that readers understood that this is flashback and now we're back to now, you know. because Yeah, yeah, I think that worked really well, actually. It's very clear and there's no confusion about where you are or what's happening. And I noticed too in the reading that they're not necessarily chronological either, are they, the flashbacks? Like, that you might have her at eight one minute and then 15 and then back to 11 or whatever. So how did you go about working out how to arrange those flashbacks? What was your decision-making process, I guess, in the arrangement of the scenes and the structure of the writing? I didn't want to have wasted words. I tend to write long books and I can't seem to be able to pull that back, unfortunately. I am trying. But what I did was I would write a modern scene, like a now scene, and then I would write something that matched that now scene. So, for example, mm. in the first scene we have Tara going back and pulling the tarp off the old caravan and, you know, making sure it's still there, having a look how roadworthy it is and so on. And then in the first flashback scene we have Tara being introduced to the caravan by her mother. Look how beautiful it is back mm. when she's 11 years old. So it's each one mirrors now. Yeah, so yeah throughout so sometimes it'll be stuff that Zach's doing wrong now and then it'll go back to something that he did when he was younger so you can see how he has developed or not developed what guided the placement of those flashbacks throughout the text and did you write those so you wrote those as you were going were you writing a present day scene and then you go oh this is a good spot to put a flashback scene and you wrote that and then went back to the present or did you slot them in later 
bit of both. Yeah. yeah, I tried to write them as I went, but then I found at the end with editorial feedback from my publisher that they needed a bit more context for some of the things that were happening. Mm. So I ended up going back and writing a few extras and putting right. them in at appropriate places. So that was really yeah. helpful. But it didn't help me on the word count problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm you like, know hey, what? You're helping me cut words here. <laughs> You're in really good company because all the books that I've been getting to talk about on the podcast lately that I've been reading are all quite chunky. I think there's been a bit of a trend towards longer books in the last few years, I've noticed. So you're right at home there. (laughs) Maybe with COVID, we've all had a bit more time to get words down. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm a bit more introspective and (laughs) navel-gating. Well, Zach is the other sort of character that we learn a lot about as the story unfolds. And as you say, he's in stark contrast to Tara because she is, she's the older sibling. She's the one that keeps everything under control. She's very, has a very parental type attitude towards Zach. How, what was Zach like in terms of the writing? How did you find getting across his character and getting him on the page? I loved writing Zach. I find him really funny, the way he talks he just says whatever, like there's no filter. He just says yeah. whatever, no matter how obnoxious. And I know that some people have found him exasperating, a little exasperating as a character, but most people get what I was trying to put across. And they're saying that we really like the way Zach was portrayed, even if we don't necessarily like him as a human being. He has to be a certain frustration for Tara too, doesn't he? That's his role really. But he has got that real larrikin element about him. Yeah. And he pushes back, I think, too, because I think at some point during this book she has to realise that she can't just keep doing all this for him. Mm-hmm. She can't just try and get his life back on track all the time because that has got to come down to Dan helps her kind of understand that. But Zach is pushing back as well. He's, you're not my mum, just, and what do you mean it's good for me? And he's always pushing back against things that she's trying to impose on him to make him fit into the mould of what she wants him to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's interesting because it's a really easy to read story, I found, and I could, I really loved following the journey of the characters. But there is this sort of underlying trauma, as you say, and it does deal with some fairly heavy themes. Do you find that the themes just come out of the character's journey? Do I choose a theme or does the theme choose me? Yeah, yeah. The theme chooses me because... I don't start out going, I'm going to write a a book about domestic violence and it's going to be really um, inspiring and educational because I think that's really, A, patronising to readers Mm. and, B, how is that enjoyable for a writing process if you're going to educate you whether you want it or not kind of thing. (laughs) So um, it's much more organic. I will be writing something and then get surprised by a thing that emerges or I'll go, all right, I need something unpleasant to have happened to this character. And I guess I have to draw on stuff that I feel like I know a little about, mm. whether, I've, whether or not I've been exposed to it personally is almost beside the point. It's, we've all been exposed to trauma and mm. had close, close people be exposed to it. So we've learnt stuff from that. And I guess that's what I draw on. And then the rest is research. Yeah, yeah. I tend to not be heavy-handed about, oh, I'm going to choose this very dark theme and explore it. It happens by accident. It's happened in the book I've just written as well. Mm. 
And, of course, we're seeing the way that the characters deal with that trauma or whatever the issues are that they're dealing with through the development of the character and seeing how they change as a result of the the things that are happening to them during the story. So, like you say, it is a fairly organic process that way, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. That, and that's yeah. what you want. You don't want to go, all right, this character is going to start here and it's going to end here and have this really mechanical journey. It's not life, is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Life's a lot messier. <laughs> the other thing that's really lovely about the book, Sasha, is the obviously they are on a road trip. They're travelling north. It's quite a long journey and they pass through quite a few different towns and beautiful beaches and the landscape and everything that, that they pass on the way is quite um, important, isn't it, in Tara's journey, if you like, but not just the physical journey, in her coming to terms with the things that she's dealing with. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and I love exploring. So a lot of the towns in this book, they've been fictionalised, but they're based on real places or an amalgamation of real places. Okay. And the coastline for WA is spectacular. So it reflects reality in that sense. I think also it's quite appealing for people who have missed out on travel over the last couple of years to to be able to do a little bit of armchair travel through. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, you're right. What what you're saying is that the landscape plays into what's happening in Tara's mind and, yeah, especially the beach because she rediscovers this connection she has with the ocean. And it's something that she's almost deliberately pushed out of her life because it makes her feel and she's almost a bit scared to feel. Mm. So this journey, it forces her to reconnect with her feelings pretty much through exploring the ocean again, actually getting seeing what's under there. And I guess that's all very symbolic, you know, going into the hidden depths and all of that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That wasn't intentional. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, but it works. It's fantastic. This is the way that our subconscious works, isn't it? When you're writing, like you say, you look back and you think, oh, I didn't mean to do that. It just happened. (laughs) Bonus. I put symbolism in it. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) My English lit teacher. (laughs) Exactly. This book sort of follows on, Sasha, from, it's not a follow-on, but I just mean in terms of the style of the book and the, I guess it's, would you say it's like a women's fiction sort of book? How do you label it? Yeah, I think that's where it's sitting in the market. I'm not in love with the term women's fiction because I think that's um, almost a bit dismissive of women's interests, but also dismissive of men's interests. In fact, I've seen women's fiction section but I've also seen the women's interest section and I just feel like, wow, are they just going to put us in there with the crochet books and the sewing books? Yeah, yeah. In that sense, it can be quite derogatory, yeah, yeah. Rachel Johns and I have often debated this topic about women's fiction because I personally actually really like the title because I I guess I consciously write stories about women for women so I don't actually mind it but I do get that it has that got hit that historical connotation of being like the sort of oh that's just for women type thing I think my problem with it is that I feel like relationships are at the core of all human experience Mm. and to relegate it to women's I think is very dismissive and it's that old post-industrial or the industrial era division between private and public domains where men Mm. are in the public domain of work and politics and women are in the private domain of the house and children and relationships. And I just think perpetuating that is not useful. But having said that, I understand that it is, it can be, you can think of it as an empowering kind of, Mm. you know, Mm. books 
that will interest women that are written about women and for women, so they're kind of forefront women. So, yeah, I get what you're saying as well. Yeah, yeah. So it was a little aside. But so this title and your last book, Spring Clean for the Peach Queen, great titles, by the way, and fabulous <laughs> covers. Like how did they, just another aside, how did those titles and covers come about? Oh, originally Spring Clean for the Peach Queen was called The Fall of the Peach Queen. But then um, it just popped into my head one day because she was doing all this spring cleaning, the Marie Kondo method. Oh, yeah. And, uh, like spring clean for the, and the, just the little rhyme, I don't know, I just loved it. And I said it to my family and they were like, that's really good, you've got to keep that. So I did. And this one, the caravan, it, it was yellow. I liked the idea of the liberation of a bird, like a canary in a cage. Yeah. So, yeah, I was thinking canary yellow caravan and stuff. I just played around with it until it popped into my head. And I guess it's a double-edged sword. It's got the intrigue factor. What is this going to be about? But it's mm. all about the, what the factor. <laughs> what is yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> finding out. Yeah. Yeah, so and, enjoy, and and the covers it. are just gorgeous. You must have been so wrapped when your publisher Pantera came up with those covers. Yes, absolutely. Peach yeah, Queen, you know, just magic, and just the pinks and everything was pink last year. I don't know how yeah. they do it to um, just nail the 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 colour of the year. And this year I'm seeing lots of teals and dark blues and indigos. So once again, they've nailed the colour of the year and they, t- they tie in together really nicely. They do actually, yeah. They're different. They've got the... Oh, they're just beautiful. Together and I don't know if it's the florals or the sh- structure. Yeah, I'm very yeah. lucky. So I just want to talk to you a little bit about this, Sasha. You, you're... I see you as being someone who's in like the second phase or, or the ne- a new phase, if you like, of your author career. You had three sort of outback romance titles out a little while ago and then you do, I know you do write YA and New Adult as well with a, a different publisher, but Spring Clean and Canary in this sort of going in this slightly new direction for you, how has that come about? When you're a starting author, you're not always very strategic and you just want to get published. So that was me. And my first um, book that got published was with a Canadian digital imprint called Ever 19. And it was called The Seventh and it's a young adult paranormal. And after I wrote that, I started to think I wanted to move into the adult area because I actually really enjoy writing both. I don't like to confine myself to one genre, as you may have noticed. (laughs) (laughs) So I sat down and I wrote a real romance and sent it off to an agent and she picked it up pretty quickly and sold it as part of a three-book deal, which I had not expected, I have to admit. I thought it would be a one-off. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And then that I would go on and write my next book. What I didn't realise is that you develop a brand when you are an author, published author. So the first thing my agent said to me when she decided to sub it out was, have you got any ideas for some sequels? Because generally um, the publishers want to give you a couple books contract. And I was like, oh, okay, the character's got two sisters so I could do their stories. And so that was what happened. She pitched that. Suddenly I'm a rural romance author and that's what I was going to be. I think also when I was younger I had this kind of vision in my head that I was going to be some grand literary author and got the reality check when, <laughs> when <laughs> books were suddenly commercial fiction. So 
I don't know if that was just me thinking I was better than what I am. <laughs> well, I think, you know what, because I'm exactly, I can relate to so much of what you're saying because I've had a very similar experience, but I think you don't know what you don't know. So going into the publishing industry, before you're actually in there, I don't think you realise how important genres are to publishers and, you know, that when you go into that, like you say, you're going to be branded a rural romance author or whatever it is, a crime or whatever it is that you go into. That's where they like to put you for very good reason because they're obviously targeting particular readers and working up with the market. But like you say, then it's like suddenly, oh, okay, that's what I am. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And that's literally how it happened. And suddenly I found myself a rural romance author and possibly not overly happy with that just because I do like to play around with genre and for me it's not that I write to a genre it's that I write the story that I currently feel passionate about Mm. so when I wrote Spring Queen for the Peach Queen it technically still fit within that real romance genre because it was set in a small town and it had a romance in it so it could have then gone on and been marketed that way But I did want to shift away just from the really classic rural romance in the sense of the girl with the cowboy hat on the cover. Yeah. The really standard kind of, I I didn't want to just be about that. I wanted to be able to expand my horizons a bit, have a bit more flexibility with endings and with content and themes and stuff like that. And I just didn't feel like it was a genre that I could squeeze myself into happily for a huge Mm. number of So I knew that I wanted it to be a bit of a shift. It was also just, and this is just an aside almost, because it wasn't the factor that made me decide I wanted to write women's fiction or commercial fiction. It was a troubled time in the rural romance genre. It was a point where some shops, big shops, were saying, we don't want any more rural romance because the shelves are flooded with it. It became quite saturated, didn't it? Exactly. Mm. And so I came in right at that moment where that was going on, which was unfortunate because up until then, rural romance had been going gangbusters. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I guess I'm not sure which way I would have gone. If that had been still a really hot genre, perhaps I might have written a couple more. Mm. I don't know, but I don't think I could have sat there forever. And I think a lot of us are like that. There are a lot of rural romance authors who are now shifting into historical or um, women's or just more, more thematic, more cross-genre. Well, I think like you say, it's you've written a number of books and then it's very hard to just think, okay, you're just in that box for the rest of your life type thing. It's If that's what you love and that's your real passion, like that's fine. But if you want to break out and do something different, it does become quite difficult, doesn't it, in the industry? Yeah, because you've got to sell it to your publisher and it's not just a matter of once you're published, you'll always be published. Each new thing that you write you've got to sell to your publisher so you've got to be able to say to them look this ties in with what I've done before in this sense and with Caravan I was concerned because I felt like it had taken a step darker than Peach Mm. and um, there was actually a little bit of um, back and forth about the cover design at first and luckily my wonderful publisher are very good at listening So when I had concerns that it wasn't, the first iteration of the cover was not quite reflecting that darkness, they were really responsive to that and they took that on board and they actually redesigned the whole thing, which they didn't have to do because it's up to them what they, how they market the book and what they do for the cover. But they were really good and they listened and came up with something that we were all really happy with. So that was brilliant. So how are you finding that whole concept now of author branding? You've moved out of that rural romance, strict rural romance genre into a more general fiction category. 
How do you go about then establishing yourself almost as a new brand? Yeah, I guess that's one of the hard things, isn't it? But to be honest, there's a lot of crossover between your real romance readers and women's fiction readers and even other genres that are targeted towards women who read commercial fiction, historical and even some, I would say, even some of the domestic noir, that kind Mm. of stuff, kind Mm. of relationship focused stuff so I think the segue is not as bad as it could have been I think if I'd tried to jump from rural romance to dark crime or you know police procedural that might have been a bit more of a fantasy time. but I do still like to write across different genres so even last year or the year before last now 2020 I had nothing coming out in the adult genre so it was like I might finally write the third book in that young adult so I'm still doing that as SD Wosley and then in a couple of months, I've got my first middle grade book coming out. And that's as fantastic. Spreading my brand around a little bit. That's great. Trying to keep them distinct. Yeah. Yeah. Do you write under SD Wesley for middle grade as well? No, that one's Ash Harrier. Okay. Yes. So I've chosen a completely different pen name for that. And that's kind yeah. of just now hitting the pre order um, online bookstores. I only just found it on a few of them today. So that's exciting. That's very exciting. So how do you manage things like social media when you have a number of pen names? <laughs> yeah, good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as hot on social media as I used to be. I used to work in social media. That kind of burnt me out for it a bit. And as a result, now I've got my preferred platform, which is Instagram. I do get on Facebook every few days, check things and share some stuff or, you know, maybe post something. But I feel a bit, I don't feel like I'm really engaged there. I'm much more engaged on Instagram. Mm. So I've set up an Ash Harrier account for Insta. And I'm not even going to bother with a website at this point, I don't think. I'm just going to go Instagram. Apparently all the kids are on Snapchat and TikTok anyway, so I don't think I'm going to be reaching anyone. It'll probably just be their mums. <laughs> that's all right the mums are the one with the money to buy the book so that's fine <laughs> yeah like I, I don't know i'll leave that up to pantera they can hit the tiktok audience with their yeah 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 I don't know I'm doing on that i've got now. a guest coming up who's going to be talking about tiktok for authors so oh cool Tune into i'm just that not one. sure i can go there i'm just i know i'm on the fence as well but we'll <laughs> see we'll see what comes out of what comes out of that discussion i do yeah. notice on your website you've got your sd wasley under another tab which is a great idea keeping it all in the one place much easier to manage yeah and eventually i might be like nora roberts and have five or six different pen names and just do every single genre because that's how my brain works i just i really like to be able to write what i want to write it just I yeah. guess. Sometimes switching between can be more challenging. Yeah, yeah. And what are you currently working on, Sasha? If you're allowed um, to gonna... say or, you know. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I can say. Yeah. yeah. So um, next <laughs> um, adult novel is a historical <laughs> because, once again, my brain won't be Oh, there. is it? Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> so I was watching Antiques Roadshow, as you do, and a <laughs> little scrapbook that someone had brought in. And it was from something called the Snapshots from Home League, which was a scheme that was operated by the YMCA in First and Second World Wars, where they would recruit civilian photographers, and a lot of them were women, and they would basically be sent little cards from the soldiers at the front, and the cards would say what the soldier wanted a photo of, and then the civilian photographer would just pop round to mum and dad's place and take a photo of the family or the new chook pen or the new car that the family got or the favourite pet dog. And they would be sent by the YMCA back to the soldiers at the front. So it was a comfort oh, wow. scale. 
Yeah, beautiful concept. And this woman that was featured on Antiques Roadshow had kept a scrapbook, so she'd kept copies of all the photos she'd done, and then some of them had little postcards of thanks from the soldiers for the pictures she'd taken and everything. And I just thought, this is so beautiful, and just this idea popped into my head. And I've always loved historical books, like especially actual historical texts, mm. Jane Austen and your Brontes and, and your Louisa May Alcott and Lucy Maud Montgomery and all of those. So I felt like I had a pretty good handle on voice for World War One, possibly not so much World War Two, because I'm not as familiar with that era, mm. but um, a bit further back. And I won a residency for the National Trust WA where I was able to go and spend writing time in some historic homesteads. Brilliant. Absolutely invaluable. So I spent a lot of time drafting and thinking and researching while I was there. I was at Woodbridge House, which is this gorgeous turn of the century, late 1800s really, homestead, a big, quite quite a grand house on the riverbank. And two of the sons from the family were lost in World War I. So there were letters from them. And I was able to draw on all this research. That pulled so, together really well, didn't it, with that initial inspiration? That's amazing. How weird is that? Oh. <laughs> and it was funny on the night because I was watching it and I actually just turned to my family who were all sitting there and said, wouldn't that make a great book? And everyone suddenly started throwing ideas in and oh. within five minutes we had the whole plot nutted out. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Do you know what? My husband watches Antiques Roadshow and I'll often be just sitting there scrolling through my phone and th- or something and saying to him, making some crack about, I can't believe you watch this show. But then I'll be looking out of the corner of my eye, oh, that's a bit interesting. You know? <laughs> stories you get. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be watching it more closely now. So this is going into a more historical you know, genre, I guess, again. And like you say, of course, there's crossovers between all these different genres that we're talking about. And genre is really a label anyway. But how is your publisher feeling about that sort of slight change in direction? I know. So I was originally contracted for the two books, these two behind me. Yep. And then when Spring Clean came out last year, they offered to extend the contract and they wanted to get me for another book for 2023. And I'd been playing around with a few different ideas and then, but this one had really grabbed me. So I said, look, how do you feel about this? Mm. And they were, yeah, we think we can work with that. So I was really surprised because I thought, how are they going to feel about that shift again? But I guess ultimately it's still going to be me writing it. It's still got yeah. um, quirky characters, humour, heartfelt, a warm kind of positive ending. And I guess it's it ultimately... I can't get away from who I am as a writer. So yeah, it's got, it's got your voice there. Yeah. Exactly. And it's still got that little country town thing happening because the main character goes to, she's a teacher and she goes to work in a little country town. And I've got a whole, the lovely thing about this one is I've got this whole family connection to the town where it's all kind of taking place. Yeah. It's farmed there and, yeah. Oh, so it's brilliant. Kind of has just come together so synergistically. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. So is that one due out next year, Sasha? Yeah, so that'll be out next year. So you must be quite a quick writer then, are you? Are you, like, what's your process in terms of drafting and then revising? How do you work on that, those different aspects? I think I am a quick writer. I've been told that I am. And I always have to be writing. It's an urge that I've got. I need to be telling stories all the time. So even when I'm not writing, I'm still stewing Mm. or editing something. And it's always been my life. And even before I was a fiction writer, I was a copywriter. So it was always about pen to paper and, and 
bashing keyboards. I'm very hard on keyboards, I've been told. So what was the question? Just this, you're doing a book a year at the moment, plus you've got your other projects with your middle grade and all that sort of thing. How do you manage your time, basically, I guess I'm asking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not last year quit my day job and that's made it a lot easier. But I always wanted to be producing two books a year. I wanted to make it a viable career for me mm. and hard to make a buck as an author, so I needed that a quicker turnover in terms of getting some cash flow in. Yeah. I also, because I love that whole different genre thing, I thought maybe I could just have a pen name and be writing two different genres all the time. And I'd had this kind of kids' book idea, so that just worked nicely. And then years ago when I first pitched it, I sent it to Pantera and Lucy Bell, one of the publishers there, liked it, but she felt it didn't quite fit into a market. It was actually the character was... 17 but then I abandoned that project and went on with adult contemporary okay yeah but then when I started thinking about this one again Lucy said to me have you ever thought about writing her as a younger character because we're actively looking for middle grade at the moment okay and I thought nah oh hang on and so I gave it a shot wrote a whole different story so it's nothing like the original and she really liked it so we worked on it a little bit and then she took it to acquisitions and next minute had a a series contracted with Pantera. So now I've got two different hats. That's brilliant. Yeah, and it's going to be great because I'll be having at least two books a year, often possibly even three. So we'll be looking at kind of a six to nine-month interval between books yep. for those children's ones, which is much more doable because they're obviously a lot shorter than Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So oh, that's brilliant. On top of that, I know I've got friends who are doing two books a year and Rachel Johnson brings to mind and she said she was always well ahead of the game until she started writing two books a year. And now she's always writing right up to deadlines. So I'm kind yeah. of like, oh, okay, I can see that becoming an issue. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least if one's sort of the middle grade, as you say, it's a bit shorter and hopefully it might be a little bit easier to pull together. So, And I knocked out that second one because I had to have kind of two ready to go during Nano last year. Okay. So I feel like it's doable. I can get a book written in a month if I have to and then yeah. just I'm editing. So, yeah. Yeah. It's doable at this stage. Oh, that's fantastic. Very inspiring. It's been so lovely chatting to you. Where can people find you, Sasha, on, like you said, mainly on Instagram, but where can they find you on online? Yeah, the best place is probably my website, so sashawosley.com, um, and then from there they can follow the path to the paranormal stuff if they're interested in that. Yeah. And my socials as well, yeah. Also, if they're after my books, they can find them on just all the book retail websites and in store at the moment. They're in Big W, they're in Demix, they're in heaps of indie bookstores, which thank you, indie bookstores. Yeah, yay you. to the yeah. bookstores. Yeah. yeah. They're the best. So if you can support them, even better. But Demix has actually got a really good promo happening at the moment where you can get these two books for the price of one. They're oh, that's brilliant. Wrapped pack. So yep. if you hurry in, you can get your two books for the price of one, which is even cheaper than at the discount department stores. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Sasha. It's been so lovely chatting. I hope we actually get to see each other face-to-face at some stage. I am over in Perth later in the year, so um, coming for I'm coming for RWA. Yeah. Yay. All right, I'll see you there. Oh, brilliant. Wait, thank you so much for having me on your fantastic podcast. Oh, thanks for being a guest. It's been such a lovely chat. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. 
If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4W Podcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women, or find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Have a great week, and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. <laughs>